We're doing this series on what makes the church the church. And we've already looked at how in Acts 2, verse 42, describing the, uh, the regular daily, weekly activity of the early church, it said they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And uh, so we're looking at each of those four plus a couple more. But anyway, so we've already looked at the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Remember we said that fellowship involved a large meal sometimes. So that's different from the breaking of bread. It's not talking here about a euphemism for a meal. This is talking about the Lord's table. So it's separate and distinct from when we would have fellowship with other Christians and enjoy a meal together, which is also very important. I hope we covered that last week. 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 23, Paul addresses the importance of the Lord's table with the Corinthian church, which we, if you do any reading in the book of 1 Corinthians, you know that was, they were kind of worldly. He had, to, he had to confront them on a number of things. And uh, one was their improper um, celebrating of the Lord's table. They were, they were doing some things that were clearly wrong, and actually it was coming at quite a cost. We want to learn from their mistakes. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 11 Starting at verse 23, we'll go right to the end of the chapter there. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, sorry, this do, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come." few minutes, I'm going to read that again from another a paraphrase, the message, which brings out some really good nuances in this passage. There's something about the Lord's table that's functional and important for you and I to be doing it regularly, celebrating it regularly um, as part of our Christian experience and our Christian growth um, as believers in Christ. We need to understand the whole idea of remembrance. This is a table of remembrance, and he brings that out about taking the bread, do this in remembrance of me, and same way, take the cup, uh, drink, it's the new covenant of my blood, do this in remembrance of me, this idea of remembrance. We need to uh, separate the North American understanding of remembrance from the ancient Near Eastern um, Semitic way of, of remembering. Our thing with remembering is, oh, I've got to remember that. I study it and try to memorize it, and then when I get to the test, I try to pop it out on the test paper. Um, here, with, with, in Jewish life, remembrance was always associated with an event, and not just at the time, but then you keep going and visiting back to it, which is why we keep celebrating this event. We don't, North Americans might, if taking out the whole idea of Christianity, we might say about the Lord's table, oh yeah, I remember, I read it somewhere that Jesus had a Passover thing the night he was betrayed, and I would read that and remember that in my brain, 
And that's how I'd remember it. But for Jewish people, no, it's not just recalling that, it's also then reenacting that. Which, why, which is why the Passover celebration, it's one of the oldest, if not the oldest, of all the celebrations, you know, actually in civilization. But um, Jewish people keep commemorating by practice the Passover event when God delivered his people out of Egypt. It's so important that we keep, keep that before us, keep that in front of our eyes. And so it's important for us to have a regular observance of the Lord's table because it's not enough for you and I just to say, oh yes, way back 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross, my sins wasn't that great, and I'm saved now. We need to revisit it in a way that's um, meaningful to us so that we, we act out these, these words of institution and what he practiced at the, at the Seder meal there. Now, Paul says something authoritative in verse 23. He says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. He used a, he used a uh, rabbinic um, model there of passing down tradition. He received, he didn't hear this right audibly from, from the Lord himself. He, he, he heard it from the Lord via, you know, faithful people who lived generations ahead of him. So he's saying, I received from the Lord God had taught this, Jesus specifically at the Lord's Supper on the night he was betrayed. You know, that was, you know, the night before Good Friday there. And so he passed it on, and, and by oral tradition, and then later written tradition, you know, this was passed on. And then so he, it was passed on, he received it, and then he is passing it on to them. That's a rabbinic model of how they commemorate the important statutes of the principles of God that he has given them through the through the ages. This is why it's important for us to be always reading our Bibles and then putting into practice what we see. So Paul is saying, he's basically telling the Corinthians, this is a really big deal. This Lord's table thing is a really big deal. Now let's back up for a minute. Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and thought, oh man, I got such a busy day ahead of me? And, and it's like, oh yeah, I just, boy, I hope the service isn't too long. And Pastor Brian lately has been preaching longer. And, and oh, it's the first Sunday of the month. Oh, it's communion. It's guaranteed another 15 minutes. I know you've never said that. I've caught myself at times, you know, over the years thinking, oh, such a full day and we're not going to get out there anytime. What can, I, what can I trim, cut back? And I'm not saying we shouldn't trim some things that are superfluous, but I'm just saying that's the wrong attitude. I met a woman in No Frills a few years ago who was a lapsed church member from her church. She did go once in a while, but she was complaining to me how she picked the wrong Sunday to go back to her church because they were having communion that Sunday. And she said to me as if I was born last week, do you know how long a communion service is? <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. I wanted to slap her right there. I said, listen, why are you going to church? Is it something to get done over with so you can brag to people that you went to church? Or are you going to meet the living God? I couldn't believe it. I wanted to run and hide. I was just trying to get some milk. I wanted to get out of there. She was telling me how, oh, how long the service was or she picked the wrong service to go back. Wait a minute here. We got this backwards. This is really important. So he gives the words of institution, which we're going to do in a few minutes, but I want to focus on this whole unworthy manner, which the King James Version unfortunately uses the word unworthily. There's a difference between, okay, what verse are we at there? Um, verse 27, therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord, I believe the King James Version says unworthily 
will be guilty of the Lord. But the, a better translation is, in an unworthy manner. Here's what the difference is. It said, when it, when, if we were to say, anyone who eats this bread and drinks unworthily, that's denigrating the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the very thing we're celebrating at the Lord's table. Yes, before I got saved, when I was still in sin, and Christ was not Lord of my life, and I had not asked him to, to uh, save me of my sins, I hadn't confessed that, absolutely I was unworthy. I was unworthy of my next breath, forget taking this Lord's table. I was definitely, and so were you, we were absolutely unworthy. But Christ's finished work on the cross of Calvary, where he stretched out his arms and died, was crucified, was bruised for our iniquities, was, bore our pains and our sicknesses, and washed us with his shed blood, made me worthy. It didn't happen by osmosis. I had to receive that. I had to accept that for myself. It wasn't just sort of a blanket thing, and I had no choice in the matter. I had to receive what Jesus procured for me. But having done that, he has now made me worthy. It's not a worthiness of my own accord. That's why Paul said, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. So it's a worthiness that's not attained by anything of myself. It was entirely purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary, which I have received freely because he gave it to me by grace, an unmerited favor. Okay, So we're not coming to this table unworthily if we're saved. If Christ is our Savior and Lord, I got really good news for you. You're not coming to the table unworthily. That being said, you could be, as someone who's been made worthy by the blood of Jesus, you could, though, be coming to the table in an unworthy manner, which is the actual proper definition of that word there. The unworthy manner is, I disdain those other things that God calls holy. Specifically, my relationship with others in the body of Christ. How do I know that? Because of other stuff he says in this passage. He talked about, so he said, verse 28, after he said about don't, don't come in an unworthy manner or you'll be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. We don't want to be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That's, that's not something we can pay for. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself. Another word for that is test. In the, in the Greek text, the word test or examine is the same word. It can mean test. It can mean tempt. Satan tempts us to pull us away from God. God tests us to draw us closer to God. It's actually the same word. It can be used positively or negatively, but in one sense, it's positive. That's what this is meant to be here. Let a man test himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So I like the word examine because it means I think before I come to this table, I don't hurry and say, hey, listen, you made me worthy. Give me, hurry, serve me the bread and cup. It's not like that. It's hold it here. Let me think about this for a minute. I don't want to treat this as some common thing. Remember in Leviticus chapter 10 when the two older sons, Aaron, the high priest, had four sons, Nadab and Abihu, Ithamar and Eleazar. So... <clears throat> The two older boys one day were horsing around and had nothing to do, and so they offered 
with their censers because they were part of the holy priesthood. Very few people got that privilege. Not all Levites got it, only Aaron's line, and only Aaron and his boys were in succession for the high priesthood. But the two older boys one day, doesn't tell us the circumstances in Leviticus 10, but they offered an offering before the Lord that was not authorized. It was not something that was called by God. It was not, you know, on the right day or whatever. And the fire of God came and consumed them. They were killed. And so there's something about when you and I come to this table and we have that bread in our hand and we have that cup in our hand, not that this doesn't become the body of Jesus and it does not become the blood of Jesus. These are elements, symbols of his body and elements and symbols of his blood. Nevertheless, what they represent, there was a very holy thing that God offered his body on the cross for our sins. So it's so important that I consider that, what Jesus has done, and consider anything in my relationship with others that's out of sync with what God would want. Again, we're not talking about the core of my being, my character being worthy or not worthy. We've already established that we're worthy if we were born again, we've asked Christ as our Savior. Jesus has washed us with his blood. He's made us worthy. However, that being said, you know, remember Jesus told P Peter at the Last Supper, he said uh, he, want, he washed their feet. He says, you're not going to wash my feet. He says, well, no, you know, you've, been, you've, been, you've had a bath, but you still need to have your feet washed every once in a while. You know, in other words, we get in the muck of the world. So we're born again. We don't lose our salvation, but we have to come back and... and, and, and you know, reacquaint ourselves with, okay, I failed here, I gotta ask forgiveness for that. And so coming to the Lord's table by examining us ourselves, examining ourselves, we say, Am I this past week, Lord, was just Holy Spirit speak to me, was I do I got some unfinished business with somebody? Did I did I was I dishonest to anyone in business or did I leave a conversation and and it was not finished? I, I said something I shouldn't have do I need to do some um, remedial work? That's what he's talking about, about examining ourselves. He says, let a man examine himself, and so let him, or and then let him, could also be said, eat of the bread. Which is why there's times where I'll say to you, if God has spoken to your heart about something that you need to make right with somebody else, maybe, and they're not here, and you, you need a bit of time, you need to let the elements pass. But we're so worried about what the guy or gal next to us in the pew is going to think if I let the elements pass, that to save face, to that person, I take the elements and I'll, I'll worry about it with God later. Not a good move. One time, a while ago, one of my servers up here didn't, didn't take communion. They were serving communion, but God spoke to them. Somewhere, somewhere by the time they got up here to serve and, and when I was sharing the words of institution, I don't know, I can't remember, but they, they said, they told me later, you know, the Holy Spirit said, this isn't finished, you need to, don't take... And I had two or three people at the door, hey, what's up with... I said, well, and I acted dumb to the thing. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, well, you know, you, didn't you notice he, he didn't take any communion? I said, it's none of my business. I was too nice to say, and it's none of yours either. I didn't say that, but I did say, it's none of my business. Clearly, the Holy Spirit spoke to him, and praise God, he had the wherewithal in front of the whole church risking what people would say about him to do the right thing. I hope that person got the lesson that day. Let me read it to you now from the message. He says it really well. The late Eugene Peterson, just passed away not too long ago, wrote this um, real fresh rendering of this passage. Here's what he says. 
Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it's so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The Master, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. That's what Nadab and Abihu did in Leviticus 10. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? Examine your motives, test your heart, come to this meal in holy awe. If you give no thought, or, or worse, don't care, about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you, even now, are listless and sick, and others have gone to an early grave. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now than to face a fiery confrontation later. So, my friends, when you come together to the Lord's table, be reverent and courteous with one another. If you're so hungry that you can't wait to be served, go home and get a sandwich but by no means risk turning this meal into an eating and drinking binge or a family squabble. It's a spiritual meal, a love feast. So let's finish here what he was saying, because we're saying, well, what's this got to do with meal? I thought you said, well, they had these love feasts in the Corinthian church. It was part of their culture, and there was eating, and sometimes people got there early, and they got to the church potluck early and took all the good items before you got there. Not only did they take your parking spot, but while you were finding another parking spot, they got all the Kentucky Fried Chicken that one person brought. Okay. So he says here, we need to be very careful, uh, because if you're, if you're careless in your attitude to this Lord's table, if you're trying to cover something up and pretend it's not there because you want to save face with the person next to you, God doesn't take that lightly. And what was actually happening here in the Corinthian church, this was actually happening, people were getting physically sick and some of them were dying. Did you notice he used the word sleep. He said here, um, this, uh, verse 30, for this reason many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. Usually when the word sleep is talking about a believer's death. If, if he's just said died, it's usually a reference to an unbeliever because they go to an eternal death. But a, a person that, that, who's a believer, it's like they went to sleep because they're going to be awakened again in the second resurrection. So he's not talking here about an eternal damnation. He's not saying, you blow it with a bad attitude at the Lord's table, and you go to hell, you don't collect $200, you don't pass go, it's just go right to hell. No. Remember, we were made worthy. That's why we were able to come to the table in the first place. So this is not about a final judgment. This is about a chastening, or let's call it discipline. Actually, it's a better word. In verse 32, he says, when we are judged, we are chastened or disciplined by the Lord. The word discipline is better because it has the word child in it. The Greek word has the word child in it. It's like, it's like child correcting. That's just sort of a compound word there. It's what you would do with a child when, they're, when they err and they don't do it. You take them and say, no, 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 no. That's not how we do it. This is how we do it here. And you show them the right way. 
you discipline. Now, there's some consequences to that because you did this wrong. You're going to have to miss this now, but the next time you'll know better. So God chastens us or he, he disciplines us like a father would tenderly with his children to make sure they, he cares. You know, a father or mother wants to ch- discipline their children because they don't want them to perpetuate error. They don't want them to walk in folly and be fools the rest of their life. They want them to grow up properly, learn the right things, right manners, and succeed in this world. And so they correct them when they're wrong. Isn't God great? He doesn't want us missing out on the great blessing there is when you and I commemorate what Jesus did in the cross. So when we do it wrong, he chastens us or he disciplines us so that we don't keep doing it wrong. And so that we get it right, we get corrected, and now I come, my heart's right, and I examine myself, and I took care of that issue that was out of sync with, with your will, God. I went to the person or, or did whatever, I took care of it, I dealt with it, and now I've come back and I'm ready, Lord. I can take the elements again. So some of them were, you know, eating at this love feast and, and not leaving food for people who are needy in the church. He says, listen, if you're, for Pete's sake, eat at home before you come here. That's not what this thing's about. We're here to remember what Jesus did in the cross. There's two elements. The, the bread, which represents his crucified body, which bore our sickness and our disease, and the cup that represents his blood, that represents the washing away of our sins. And this is several sermons we could talk about that, that, that differentiate those two things. But he says this is too important for us to come casually to. That might be the worst offense of coming in an unworthy manner than any of them put together. It's the, oh yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've done this before. I've, man, I could take communion in my sleep. <sighs> That's thin ice. I'll tell you what I pray for when I come to the Lord's table. God, I want this to be like the very first time. I, the first time I was a believer. I remember when I first got saved, I, I was going to a brethren church down the street, Bible-believing church, and they had a special service. They had a, they have, their morning service is called the Family Bible Hours at 11 a.m., but they had a breaking of the bread service at 9.30. They used real wine, too. It was kind of neat. Uh, anyway, they had this cup, and, and they had a big loaf of bread, and they passed around, and it was, but it was you were there practically the whole hour before you got to the elements because they had different elders of the church would stand up and lead in a hymn a cappella uh, or read a scripture. And let's think about that. They might even expound for a little bit. It was really powerful. I remember taking that and thinking, and it was really enforced, really reinforced about what these elements mean, that, that you're saved. You're, God's taken you and made you a new creation, brought him into relationship with yourself. So meaningful. And so... If I'm on the mark, if I'm on point in my preparation before a communion service, I'm praying, God, when I take that bread, take me back to 1982 when I had the first time I was saved and had communion, how much it meant. Oh, God. You know, it's kind of like I tell my wife, I love to kiss my wife. I don't want to treat that lightly. I want it to be like the day I kissed her on my wedding day. I now pronounce you man and wife. When something is holy to us, we should examine ourselves and prepare ourselves before we rush into it. If something is holy to God, we should be doubly, triply more careful to examine ourselves before we celebrate it. So, let's do that.
Lord, we're coming to the Lord's table now. What a gift this is from you to us. Oh, we didn't deserve it, but then Jesus, you went to the cross of Calvary, which is what this table represents. You allowed your body to be crucified. You allowed all your blood to be poured out. And then you offered us this gift of salvation. And as we have received it, you made us worthy. Imagine that. To come to this table, no strings attached. All paid for by you, O God. As we come to the table now, Lord, I pray that it's like the first time. Put a freshness. Let the dew of heaven be resting on these elements as we take them this morning. Remind us afresh what an incredible high privilege this is to commemorate you, to remember you in this way. Let us examine our hearts right now before we come to the Lord's table. And so then let us eat of the bread and drink of this cup. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.